If you were brought up to be nice and not express your, how shall I put this, more challenging emotions, keep listening. This episode is a doozy. Today, we're having a radically practical, gritty conversation about how to raise daughters who know how to express their emotions. So maybe you were discouraged as a child from being angry, or you were told things like, calm down, or that's not very ladylike, or good girls don't behave like that. Our parents did the best that they could with the tools that they had, and this is not an episode criticizing any of that. And I'm curious how I can help my own kids be with, say, anger and rage without needing to push it down. I want to learn how to empower them to express those feelings. If you do too, let's go. Oh, hang on. There's a hand up at the back of the room. Yes? Oh, you don't have kids, but you never learned how to express your emotions as a child? Stick around. You're going to learn something too. My guest today is Natalie Costa, speaker, author, and founder of Power Thoughts, a coaching service designed to give kids power over their own thoughts. She's been featured in loads of exceedingly credible places like the Sunday Times, The Telegraph, Good Morning Britain, and BBC Breakfast, amongst others. If you're new to the pod, a big warm welcome. I'm your host, Dr. Mandy Leto, executive coach and recovering overachiever and perfectionist. Here's your need to know about this show. These are conversations for anyone whose self-worth is entangled in their achievements. I do, therefore I am. But secretly, you're exhausted, wondering if you'll ever feel good enough in spite of all your shiny things and stellar achievements. I made this show for me, but I'm walking alongside you, hoping that you'll get a lot out of it too from the experts and fellow recovering overachievers and perfectionists who share tips, techniques, and insights on how to be kinder, or at least less jerky, to yourself. Right, let's meet Natalie Costa. I drop us into the conversation where she's sharing what it can look like being an adult who never learned how to handle anger or conflict. How might we experience these feelings in our day-to-day lives? Let's find out. It's not safe to show my true emotions. It's not safe to voice what I'm feeling. And on a personal note, I actually just had this conversation with my husband yesterday where I said, I still struggle with conflict. It's not safe. I run away. I avoid because I don't want to upset the other person. And I see that a lot. We don't want to, we don't want to upset the other person. We don't want to hurt their feelings or not be liked. Oh my goodness. That's the other thing. If I voice how I really feel, then I'm not going to be liked. I'm not going to be accepted. The other thing as well, what I see is the resentment that can build up. So there's, if I don't vocalize what I feel, that over time is like, it's just dust that builds up, that builds up. So if I'm not vocalizing my knees and then, and then that's maybe when it comes out in that, like that rage bit, you know, that, that like the, the, the tip of the iceberg. And I mean, that could come up in so many, so many different ways. And I do think for so many girls in society, little, little girls and are growing up, the message was just, you want to be liked. You want to be nice. You want to be the nice girl, the good girl. Um, you know, the girl that's quiet, the girl that gets on with her work, the girl that doesn't cause a big hoo-ha, you know, if I'm thinking of my days as a teacher. And so being the good girl, being the nice girl, being the accommodating girl, why? Because you're easier to manage for the adults. It's just, it's more accommodating for the adults, you know, versus the one that is rowdy, that speaks up. But I think 
we do such a disservice when we don't allow, you know, if I'm talking about girls now, if we don't allow girls to, to use their voice and to see that anger is a healthy emotion. It's not bad. I think for me, for so long, I thought being angry is bad. And shame, the shame and the guilt around being angry. I shouldn't be angry. And, you know, if, if I often speak about flipping my lid, if I flip my lid, that's that's like not the right thing to do. I should be able to control my emotions. And granted, as an adult, you know, there's a way to express your anger and a way not to express your anger. But I think it's so much harder to express your anger in the right way if there's also that all that suppression. And then maybe you do flip your lids and then all just comes bubbling out. So, so many different factors, I think, that, that can hit. There's a woman on Instagram called Robin Clark, and I would really recommend yeah. anybody who is interested in this good girl phenomena to follow Robin Clark. And there's a post that she put out recently in which she said, I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit. So Robin, if you're listening, I'm sorry, this isn't verbatim, but something around like being a good girl is about being other oriented. Yes. It's being who others are comfortable with us being and not knowing what your real needs are beyond wanting people to be happy with us, which is in her, you know, like basically a fundamental way of being in a codependent relationship. So yes. It's all yes. for the benefit of other people when girls aren't, air quotes, disruptive, when they aren't yes. being messy, when they aren't being needy. And so all of that gets pushed and tucked away into this little black box, which goes 40,000 leagues under the sea in our psyche. And then it starts showing up in our older lives and our mm. adult lives in relationships at work when we can't be in confrontation. Confrontation doesn't need to be confrontational, but it can yes. be very problematic. And all of these behaviors that we see with listeners in this podcast, people pleasing, overachieving, being over accommodating, over giving. And then as you said, the resentment builds yeah. and builds and builds and builds. And then she's going to blow and she blows. She flips her <laughs> lid, right? Yeah. And yeah. then the shame and guilt comes in because heaven forbid I made a mess and I had an emotion and I expressed a need. Yes. Yes, totally. And I think, you know, it totally is that in terms of the the otherness, we do this for the other, you know, to accommodate the other people. And golly, if I think of my parents, I, you know, they did the best that they could and with the, the, the tools and the knowledge that they had. But I can see this so in terms of a generational pattern as well, just what was shown and modeled to me in terms of be the nice girl, be the people, but, you know, but this person will be upset. We've got to try and accommodate. And it's just, it was just like the, the way of, being in in my way you know in my world of of growing up than what I saw and it's something that only I suppose when I started working for myself in this space did I really realize how much of a problem the whole bending and accommodating others is actually is to myself and not listening to your boundaries and your intuition I think is also just as important because the more I don't know about you Mandy but the more I do this work the more I really tuned into listening to my gut to my intuition and the, the times I haven't, boy, I know like bloody hell, I should have done that, right? But it's so easy to dismiss that voice if you're so used to pleasing others that you're like, well, what is this voice inside me? Kind of segues out of anger, but it is still about, you know, you're owning your voice and being able to not accommodate everybody else. And that's okay. And it doesn't just have to be anger that we're talking about here. It can mm. all of those 
uncomfortable emotions for other people because we are such a motley crew of feelings. And if only certain ones are acceptable in the way that we've been brought up. And I mean, this is where we're in the deep work as adults and what now we are responsible for ourselves. But in in the children that we're bringing up and the children that are in our lives, I would really love us to jam a little bit as to how can we make it safe for our children and for our girls in particular to start to express those previously deemed unacceptable emotions so that they don't learn to contort themselves and be who they think they should be and, you know, to be other oriented. What can we do? Yeah, a few, and such a good question. I think one of the, when, I mean, there's many, but one of the things that definitely springs to mind is um, allowing a space for whatever the feeling is to be there, not to judge the feeling, not to say, don't feel this, or not to say, oh, calm down. You know, I mean, God, you know the effects of calm down, right? That just even saying that's like, ah, I got that, tell me to calm down. So allowing the space for those uncomfortable feelings to be there because, you know, one of the things that I teach children, this is something you can start with kids from a very young age of like begin to see your feelings as visitors, create a character for your feeling, uh, give it a name. So one of the boys that I worked with, you know, anger was a big challenge for him in learning how to work with his anger. So he called it Tornado, which I thought was a brilliant name, you know, but you could even get really funny with it. I mean, some, you know, one of the girls I worked with called her worry and her sadness eggplant. So just, you know, creating these as little characters and these characters just come and visit me for a while and it's just going to sit here for a bit, but they always go. So then that's the first thing. Our feelings come and our feelings go. We can also start to have it, you know, when we create a character, then children also begin to personify this feeling. So it, they begin to see, I'm not my feeling. I can feel my feeling and that's okay, but I'm not my feeling. Because my feelings can feel really strong when they feel so real in the moment that we're like, well, this is like, you kind of, not that you're thinking it, but like, we just kind of feel like this is going to be it now. They, they, they come and they go. They come and they go. So beginning to personify it creates a bit of distance and then having conversations, you know, when children are young about, so the tornado is here. What do you think it's feeling? What do you think he's trying to tell us? And the other thing there as well with anger is helping children recognize that anger is a protective emotion. It wants to protect us. It's hiding those more vulnerable feelings. Now, hundreds of years ago, anger served obviously a really good purpose. You know, if you're thinking of fight and flight, if I'm attacked by another tribesman or, you know, what is protecting my territory, the anger is really good at keeping me alive. But fast forward to today, you know, many of the things aren't like they're threatening, but it's still sending me a message that something's not right. It's giving me information and what's hiding under that anger. So with kids and even teenagers, we look at the angry mask, you know, what, what are those vulnerable feelings hiding under the anger? So I also say to kids, no, anger is trying to give us a message. If we can just listen to what that message is, that message is going to help me hold on to my power a little bit more. So it might be that I'm disappointed, that I feel insecure, that I feel jealous, that I feel frustrated, that I feel trapped, that I feel helpless. All of those feelings hide under that that, you know, guilt and shame are huge as well. The amount of times, you know, that oh, I didn't do this, but actually inside they feel guilty, that they feel ashamed. So understanding what are those hidden feelings, beginning to unpick what those messages are, and then, okay, what does this hidden feeling need to help me? Do I need a cuddle? Do I need to ask for help? Do I need some time by myself? 
do I need to speak to someone? Now, I understand this is all very like high cognitive ways of thinking, and I'm not expecting children to get this from the get-go, but these are the sort of conversations you can start to have with them of identifying that feeling character, tornado, what do you think is feeling, having some hidden feelings, even as images that we can, you know, show children. I mean, there's loads, you know, the other way is descriptive on the internet, but you can get up things just like the angry iceberg has got lots of hidden feelings underneath that, talking about them. Through this, you're modeling to them that there's, it's okay to feel these feelings. And then also when they do have those feelings, it's, do you know what? I get it. I understand you're feeling really disappointed right now because you weren't chosen for, you know, the football team or whatever it might be. I understand this is really tough, isn't it? I get it. So you're just making space for that feeling to be there. So that's one of the things I think really a really powerful thing in all aspects, not just with anger, in all aspects is that validation. It's just being able to mirror their experience, mirror the emotion, even though rationally to you, it might not be such a big deal, right? They don't have that rational capacity yet. So for them, it is a big deal and they're caught up in these big feelings. I love this idea of helping your child to separate from these feelings by creating a character. So go ahead and have a look on Google. You can buy these cool things called emotion toys or emotion stones to help your kids with big feelings. But you can also make your own. You might get some ideas by having a look online. I have found this character creating tool really useful even for myself. So I've gone ahead and named my anger Lava. As you'd expect, it's hot and red and bubbly, and it lives in the pit of my stomach, swirling around the moat of the castle of all the other feelings that it's protecting, like fear, disappointment, sadness, loss, grief, shame, guilt. When lava starts swirling, here's the interesting thing, it uses a mini walkie-talkie radio to inform its wing character that lives in my jaw, lock up, buddy, upcoming turbulence. Interesting, right? It's how I learned to mute myself for all these years. Don't express the anger. Pull up the drawbridge. Clamp your jaw shut and then we'll be safe. But what I'm learning is that lava isn't necessarily something to be afraid of if I'm aware of it. It shows up as a signal, as a warning sign that one of my boundaries or values has been violated. When I sense the boundary violation, and this bit's really important, I can then slow down and take a deep breath, regroup, and choose how I'm going to proceed instead of just letting it bubble over and meaning that I'm hijacked by this crazy red rage. So I'm sharing in case this gives you some ideas about making your own anger or challenging feeling into a character and practicing noticing what is going on for you. You can try this alongside your kids or try it even if you don't have any children. Okay, next, Natalie is going to share a tip on how to teach your kids to start speaking up if your child is one of those really accommodating, oh, whatever's fine for me, very going with the flow. What can we try to get our kids to start speaking up? Giving them the opportunity, so asking them what they think about things, asking them for their opinion, asking them perhaps to solve a problem at home or giving them more responsibility. Because sometimes what I find with these, you know, children like this, they're very accommodating. They're very happy to please. They're very happy to be told what to do. 
I mean, if you've got a strong-headed child that doesn't like to be told, you're going to know. Like she, she's she's good at showing her anger. That that's good, you know. And we can look. We can talk about ways of how to take back some of my power so that the big feeling doesn't take completely over that I lose straight away. But I'm talking more about these, you know, the girls that maybe do struggle with that sense of assertiveness. Gently start to push them out of their comfort zone where they have more responsibility, where the answer is indefinite because that's the other thing. They want to know, am I going to do the right thing? Well, right now, lovey, the, the right thing is what you think is right. Let What do you think is right? So beginning to slowly give them that responsibility and which will look different in different contexts. You know, it might be that they plan a day out or that they start to you know, what do you think about this? What, what, what do you think we should do? Instead of you just telling them what to do, which we can so easily fall into is, you know, parents and caregivers just tell, guide, direct, let's do all these things. And the other thing as well, that is definitely key. And again, pick your battles here. And it's not a nice one to hear, but it's crucial. Allow your children to say no to you and to disagree with you. And this isn't always easy. This is not always easy. Again, and I'm not saying boundaries are not important. Boundaries are very, very important. But if we can't help them to find their voice, to be comfortable to say, no, I don't want this. No, I don't want to do this in a safe environment. How can we expect them to do that in an environment where they're not safe? And I think that's really an important thing to, to, to think about. And it might be really triggering and uncomfortable and pick your battles as well. But I think, you know, classic places of where that can step in is I don't want to give grandma a kiss as an example. You know, I don't want to give granddad a hug. I just don't, and it's not because they don't love them. It's just, I just don't want to do it. Cause sometimes we might, you know, that the judgment and I think, what do other people think? So actually accepting that or, or an even, and I know you know, meal times that there's a lot around that as well in fasted eaters. And I'm not a specialist when it comes to eating, but I'm full. You know, how many times have we been told, finish what's on your plate? No, I'm full. Or, but you know, if your child's are hungry because they've been grazing all day, okay, don't have to eat, but you're still going to come and sit at the table with us. So there's still that expectation, but you don't have to finish everything that's on your plate. And I'm not saying do this all the time, every time, pick your battles. Like, and sometimes there are those non-negotiables where you have to keep them safe. But do start to think where were there opportunities that I could get them, that I could take on that no or take that disagreement. Quick recap. Practice letting your kids have a voice. Ask their opinions about stuff, particularly if you're super busy and organized and optimized for efficiency. It feels so much quicker to bark orders and move things along, right? But Natalie's point about not being able to expect your kids to speak up when situations one of these days isn't safe, if they've never learned how to do so in the past, that lands. And on reflection, I don't know about you, but I realize now how much credence and weight I've given to authorities and experts in the past. And this isn't to say that these people aren't incredibly knowledgeable, which is why I will never remove my own appendix or tint my own eyebrows. I'm saying that my learning that kids were to be seen and not heard and that authority was never to be questioned. I grew up feeling that power was outside of me. And maybe you did too. These small steady practices that Natalie's sharing with us can be beneficial for you, even if you don't have kids. 
So next, she's going to teach us how to start shifting a belief, especially if you have kids or teens who are super hard on themselves. You're going to learn about ants, automatic negative thoughts, and how to start to unpick those with your kid. And I work a lot with children that really struggle with making mistakes and also, you know, see the mistakes that they make as a result of my self-worth. So I made this mistake, therefore I'm not a good person. What are those negative stories or thoughts that you have? I also teach a lot around um, the different types of negative thoughts that we call the ants, the automatic negative thoughts. So the worry ant that makes us worry about things, the comparison ant where I compare myself, the all or nothing ant where, you know, I sometimes call that the drama ant of nothing is going right. Everyone judges me. Nobody ever listens to me. So those big generalized words, the negative ant where I only see the negative. I only see that mistake. I don't see all the positive things I've done. The mind reader ant where I think other people, where I think I know what other people are thinking, you know, so I think other people are judging me, thinking about me in this way. Um, so we catch these ants and then we start to reframe and challenge it. And I take children through a step, you know, a step series. So there's different ways. So I always ask, you know, is this question, is this thought of thinking really 100% true that I'm such a failure? That means I'm a failure in all aspects. Like nothing has ever worked for me. I've done terribly in, you know, of course not. So is this 100% true? No, it's not. How does this thought make me feel? Well, sad, dejected, disempowered. Um, who would I be if I didn't have this thought? Let's just say I didn't have it. And, you know, instantly there, I, whenever I pose that question, there's like this lightness of, well, just, I'd just be, I'd just be calm or I just, I'd be able to do that thing. It depends on the situation. And then, you know, there, there's a few ways. Do I have evidence to prove that this thought is not true? Can I think of times that I did do well, that I did succeed despite the difficulties, that things did work out or whatever it might be? Is there clues to prove that this is wrong? And then finally, what would I tell somebody that I care about, my best friend? Would I tell them, yeah, you suck. You are such a failure. You're never going to be. Of course, I'd never say that. So that's the, you know, what I'd say to them is what I can start saying to myself instead. This practice can take some time, but being in that process with your kids that they are not their thoughts, it's just an ant, can be such a lifelong gift. And speaking of gifts, I asked Natalie to share another one with us, teaching our girls how to say no without feeling awkward or cringy or buckling simply to avoid the potential discomfort of letting someone down. I'm asking because I wish I had learned this as a young woman. So Natalie, what do you have for us around boundary setting? If we're talking about boundaries in terms of saying yes to somebody else at the, at the expense of myself and really getting them, you know, these are lots of little conversations to be had, you know, to be had with your daughter. This isn't just a one-off conversation. It will probably come out of situations that are happening at school. But getting them comfortable to say no. And, you know, I remember the first time when I wanted to say no to something. And this was in my adult years. I'm like, how do I say no gracefully? So teach your daughters to say no in a kind way of, do you know what? Thank you so much for the invitation, but I'm not able to join you today or whatever that might be. I mean, whatever the scenario is. And maybe having some scripts ready that they can use. I know that that definitely helped, you know, myself in terms of, okay, I've got some scripts that I can use that I practiced. 
And it's something that, that just flows out. And the more, and it's, again, it's like a muscle saying, no, I'm not okay with this. This is not something I want to do, but you can say no. And in a kind and graceful way, it doesn't have to be, you know, ca causing a lot of judgment. And also people don't understand that they're probably not your people. I'm realizing that much of the work of reclaiming our wholeness can be in reparenting ourselves in so many ways. Being around our kids at specific ages when we may have been hurt or sad or disappointed can catapult a lot of old not enough feelings to the surface. Natalie agrees that during parenting, we are raising ourselves as much as we're raising our children and we'll never do it perfectly all the time, which is okay. So to close out the episode, I asked Natalie to riff on a brick of wisdom with me, which is a little different than we usually close the show with. I'm curious how we can reparent ourselves around some of those painful memories that come up as our kids become the age that we were at the time, especially around body image and not feeling attractive enough. So you get a few really special, radically practical bricks of wisdom from Natalie. I remember there was a moment when I was growing up and I'm really aware of this, where my daughter is now a very budding young woman. And I remember being that age and I was probably about 13, 12, 13, 14, something along those lines. And it was a really hot day, like it is in London today, super sticky. And we had been out blueberry picking. The whole family had been out blueberry picking. And we were going to go and jump in the lake. And of course, being a young woman that age, the boys just took off their clothes and off they went in their mm. skivvies and they jumped. And I was kind of hanging back. And I, I'll never forget this when my father said, just, just take your T-shirt off. Nobody cares about your little fly bites. Oh, and oh, I, oh, I feel bad. I had kind of forgotten about that until my own daughter started blossoming. And I've tried to be with that process of having a changing body with so much tenderness and care and grace, because as you said, a throwaway comment can just leave so much lasting not I don't know if it's damaged but it just lodges into your mind so immediately I thought I'm not attractive no one's going to find me attractive my breasts are not attractive and that was just like the story that I told myself for most of my adult life could you just offer some words of wisdom of what that healing process and what you know, how that can kind of cascade down to our own daughters. What could that look like? You know, if we're thinking about these comments, you know, the brain is so malleable between, you know, zero to seven to 14, you know, in those crucial years. So these little flyaway comments can really, like you say, lodge in there and really cause a belief, start to cause a belief. And that's where a lot of these limiting beliefs come from. And so part of the work that I do with parents is about, we go back into that subconscious in terms of really beginning to pick where do some of these limiting beliefs come from and being able to, to heal that memory. You know, you know, and we go, you know, sometimes we go really deep in terms of what is it that you would have liked your father to say, and what can we give that, that younger version of you in that moment? And I think just being, you know, 
I'm assuming the listeners that you have here are conscious or wanting to, to be aware or, and, and so I would say it's just being mindful of the words that you do say. What I'd also say is how do you, we might have our stuff as adults with our body, but I think it is so, so important how you treat and speak about your own body in front of your daughters. And I would also say, I'm giving you a lot here, but like in terms of show them what different forms of beauty looks like, like strong, confident woman, women, you know, doing different things in the world, doing amazing things. And we're focusing more on what they do, but they all look different, you know, different cultures, um, nationalities, races, different bills, different structures, that there's not just one form of beauty. All of Natalie's details are in the show notes, and you can find her on Instagram under PowerThoughtsNC. Who do you know who needs this episode? I'm so grateful for your shares and also for your Apple podcast reviews. Please keep them coming because they help more people to find the show. The pod is having a summer creative break until early September, so please catch up on any episodes that you've missed in the meantime. And to give you a little teaser of what's coming, I've got author and sophrologist Dominique Antiglio, who's talking to us about why we hold so much tension in our jaw and our upper body. I mean, I realize I've probably spent most of my adult life with my jaw completely clenched. Is there something there to pent up emotions, unexpressed thoughts, being the good girl? I'm going to give you a little taster of what you can expect. There's also technique to release all these old emotion in, in, in osteopathy, for example, they have a, a lot of emotional release technique. And we, 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 I used to be an osteopath, so I used to work with the jaw with the awareness of anger. And I can't tell you the number of people who on the table have released deep anger like sometimes screaming or even I've been through that on the osteopathic couch where suddenly you reach that place in the body where there's this emotion coming from nowhere and you know exactly what it is all about. Thank you so much for listening. Let's do this all again in September.